Welcome to Girls Room, where each week we unpack the foundational text of the 2010s, HBO's Girls. I'm Julia Gray. I have my incredible co-host with me, Drew Haskins. Hi, everyone. And joining us once again, we have a repeat guest for a very special episode of Girls. Episode six of season five, writer of the wonderful substack Hung Up and Girls Historian and personal favorite, Hunter Harris. Hi, thank you for having me. I love Girls Historian. Let me say that first. Like, Put it on your tombstone. Put it on your resume. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you do have a true expertise of this show and a true like scholar's mind for it that it just is perfect for what we're trying to do here. Um, and what what a great episode for you to come back for too. I mean, thank you. That means a lot. This episode is one of the very few that as someone who did not watch Girls in real time, I am sort of jealous of people mm-hmm. who got to watch in real time. Like um, going into this episode, the first time I watched Girls like two years ago, a year and a half ago, um, I knew the broadest contours that we would see Charlie again and that he had sort of gone awry and that it was like a really good episode but I just cannot imagine what it would have been like to watch this live and like really not know the direction it was going to go and that even he was going to be back on the show like that's really just one of those like tv moments that I'm really jealous that I didn't oh, see yeah. time this is easily the peak episode of season five. And I do remember watching it in real time. And, you know, as a longtime Marnie apologist, finding it so wonderful that it seemed like we were getting just a solo episode of her. But when he shows up on the warehouse steps, looking like so different, but like so familiar, it just, it's, it's such like a gotcha moment. Um, and the episode doesn't let up from there. It's just, it's just perfect. So I passed like that corner in Williamsburg Greenpoint border where they meet literally all the time. And I always am like on my walking to of girls, like this is where Marnie ran into Charlie. <laughs> I passed it the other day, like actually on my birthday with my boyfriend, we were going to my apartment, coming back from the restaurant uh, Nura in Greenpoint. Mm-hmm. And I was like, let's just take a moment. And he was like, Hunter, come on. Created. <laughs> um, oh my god. I didn't know that was Williamsburg Greenpoint border. That's kind of where I live. I thought it was Bushwick. I really don't think it is. And I I mean it could be, maybe I'm wrong, but I do think it is like right where the old vice used to be. Because it like it the corners like match up so perfectly. Of course. And then later they go to that one vintage store. I can't remember what it's called, but that's like on Bedford and fourth or fifth um so it would track to me but that makes a lot of sense I think you're completely right I'm gonna have to rewatch and then visit the site (laughs) they should do girls like bus tours like they do the sex of the city bus tours you just go around like residential Brooklyn I'm always like threatening to do that but of course everything everywhere is in like a seven block radius it's like all Williamsburg Greenpoint I feel like that's where they shot that's perfect you could do a walking tour just like uh, you could do a what are some good bars they go to I can't think of a single one but I do think you could really sell tickets and <laughs> make is, rent and rent it. <laughs> is there a grumpy's coffee in real life or is that just uh there is oh there are a few grumpies well, that I, could be like the Magnolia Bakery of the show. Yeah, 
and there's the oh they used to do the um Ray's actual coffee shop was in that pizza place in Clinton Hill but I can't remember the name of it mm. um speedy something but anyway um okay, so what I I'm so curious to hear more about like what it was like watching this live and like how that felt I don't think I realized how impactful it was at the time because how old were we Drew? we would have been like 2021 when this came out okay were yeah. we oh yeah, yeah this yeah. is 2016 so okay no so I guess I did I recognized the impact but not really not until afterwards I, I re- remember being shocked at seeing Charlie and kind of emotionally destroyed by the whole episode but I don't know the significance I feel like with hindsight it is it feels more significant yeah I did go back and read some of the contemporary reviews of the episode from 2016 after it aired and a lot of them hail it as an instant classic and that is kind of what it felt like watching it too I mean Hunter the last time you were here was for Beach House which Mm -hmm. was sort of the spiritual like ancestor this episode in a lot of ways and that it is like sort not a single location but like a very like short film-esque episode of the show um and season four doesn't really have one of those so this is the first one you get after that and it definitely feels just as significant as that does in like one's one man's trash um bushwick the craxident um they're definitely like I don't know why season four doesn't have one of those but they're definitely like the fun episodes I think yeah and I think I mean the fact that it is kind of one narrative I mean I don't like Hannah's on in this episode really mm-hmm. oh I think it's, yeah what? no they they see her the next night when they go to the play um but it's really just Marnie's story in a way that like speaking to a Marnie apologist you really get a sense of like how her whole life is in a sort of tailspin in a way that she's realizing but not willing to share with her friends yet and in a way that I don't know I don't really think of Marnie as like a romantic certainly not through any of the wedding stuff any of the Desi stuff just doesn't like a romantic and in this episode you know it's it feels like honestly like a real life version of like a 500 days of summer or like that kind of twee romance where I want her to get swept up in it because it's just like such a romantic thing to run into someone in New York running into anyone in New York I think is romantic no matter who they are Mm -hmm. Um, because the city just feels so big and then that it's Charlie specifically and that we haven't seen him and that I don't know do you think she's been wondering about Charlie in the interim because I'm sure she has that just seems so Marnie I almost feel like she's been so caught up with Desi that it was sort of like oh my god you you know mm-hmm. like I feel like maybe she spent a lot of time thinking about him pre-Desi but now she's so caught up in like the horror and the havoc wreaked on her life by Desi <laughs> yeah and she also kind of had to debase herself to even get Desi in the first place that late season three early season four Marty when she's like pining after him while he's dating Clementine then they go to having an affair behind everyone's backs like she has to 
really compromise a lot of her own values and a lot of her own like personal integrity even to get with him in the first place so to mm -hmm. win the battle so to speak but then have it be so awful to live through every day like you can see how she's as low as she is in this episode yeah. I have to say, if Desi's taking applications, he can ruin my life. <laughs> that that is my man. Like, wow, you're a Desi girl? I love Desi. What can I say? Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just, I kind of do feel like as much as Marnie dating Charlie is like such a previous lifetime it's Marnie like she loves to obsess and loves to be nosy loves to cast judgment and I don't think she hasn't wondered about Desi in the interim but I'm, I'm sorry worried about Charlie in the interim but at the same time when confronted with him it's so like not really like when she says the thing about like the last time I saw you called me like a spoiled brat and said that you never loved me it's like I think she some version of her at 25 and a half years old knows that he didn't really mean that and knows that like they both kind of grown up from the absolute immature folly of their relationship if that yeah. makes sense yeah. it does seem implausible that someone who is as instagram and social media obsessed as marnie would not find a way to somehow insta stalk charlie or mm -hmm. like keep tabs on him but i bet he's not on instagram and i bet that drives her crazy you know, like in he he does not seem like a guy who would have any sort of social media. Maybe doesn't even have a smartphone. Yeah, but she does have that line whenever she asks, like, "What happened to your startup or whatever?" And he's like, "Oh, it just didn't work out." And she's like, "Well, did they buy you out?" Like she says, like someone's name. Like, did you know your partner buy you out? Like, so she. It seems like she has been keeping tabs at least on the world, or has like memories of like specific characters in his life. Or mm -hmm. yeah, it's sort of interesting. Um, but. Okay, we have to talk about Christopher Abbott's kind of, I don't want to call it like a black scent because it's not, but it is a very, I will say, certain working class, um, very sort of caricature of a, like, I don't, like a type of Brooklyn person that I'm like. Yeah. It's, it is a very interesting little throwback to like early 2000s rom-coms where like I'm specifically thinking about the Lance Bass movie On the Line in which he plays a straight guy in Chicago. Um, it, wait, is, he, that the, is that the Meg Ryan movie about, about boxing? No. Oh <laughs> no, my no, God. That's in the cut. That's that's in the totally cut, different. I think. No, no, no. Um, I'm talking about another thing not in the cut because I love that movie but um like some like random dumb rom-com she did that which now I actually have to google and find out the name of but yes spent finished the Lance Bass yeah it's Lance Bass and Sloan from Entourage and they have zero chemistry like obviously and Joey Fatone's in it too but um Lance Bass is doing this insane like working class like Chicago Boston like kind of quasi black scent too and this really reminded me like Chris Abbott's accent was like a dead ringer for Lance Passes in On the Line which I cannot in good faith recommend as a movie to watch but like as a historical document and let's wonder was that a direction from Lena or 
did he just decide that that's how Charlie is now? <laughs> I also, um, I'm reminded that he, didn't he leave the show on like kind of weird terms with um, Lena Dunham? And she was like, she I, I she was in an inter- interview saying something like he thought he was too broad or too too classically trained theater for me or he didn't think I knew how to run my show am I wrong I'm so glad you asked um okay sorry three things at once first movie I was thinking of with Meg Ryan is called Against the Ropes okay. um, <laughs> and it co-stars who it is it's Meg Ryan Omar Epps and it is about like sports okay thing in some way um the other thing is that I did read like to prepare I read this like honestly iconic page six headline um cutest boy leaves girls about him leaving and page six hears that he left because he didn't like the direction of the character and I think it also hurt but I can't remember where I heard this from um maybe something I picked up you know wherever that he wanted to like make movies and was like getting more film stuff and then also like didn't like felt like Charlie was maybe too much of a cuck wow. or too much mm-hmm. of like a nothing and left and then later I read another interview today with Jenny Connor where she says like you know none of that really happened he's just such a good actor and he wanted to make movies and that's why he left and, like there's no bad blood and when he came back it was like no one had really seen him since then, like from the show, but it was such a, you know, nice reunion, blah, blah, blah. But um, I don't know. I I do, I watched that movie he did. Um, I'm trying to remember the title. Uh, James White. Mm-hmm. Is that the one with Cynthia Nixon? Yes. Okay. Which also, if I remember, is has like some addiction thread through it. And he was so good in that. It wouldn't surprise me if he was, if the accent was sort of, his like if he showed up and had that voice and everyone's like oh let's quickly write a line to like address this honestly very girls in my mind yeah I mean I was gonna say it does kind of add this texture to his character where you know we have been dealing with very like white cis upper like upper middle class people and doesn't Marnie have that line when they're breaking up I or like when they're on the rocks in some way where she's like I want to have like little brown babies with you and it's like what uh-huh. so Charlie has always felt like he exists in this like nebulous space of like not really being a part of their friend group but then like also kind of being with them and it just, it adds to his like sort of outsider status but yeah. I do think he would like talk he would like be putting it on now that he is like you know yeah I think he is Italian within the like oh. general confines of the character I don't think that they ever talk about it but his last name is Dottolo so like maybe he's playing up the like Bronx tale kind of like Italian American thing a little bit hmm. so a friend today sent me an old watch what happens live appearance that it's lena and maggie gyllenhaal which is like a real gruesome twosome that i need to find the whole episode for but someone calls into the show and asks lena about chris abbott and her relationship and this is after i think the show's done Mm -hmm. um she essentially says that he couldn't handle 
her being a boss bitch. <laughs> I'm like loosely paraphrasing, but like that's like more or less what she says. Um, and that they they got over it a few years later, and that's what paved the way for him to come back. Um, but they essentially let each other just artistically do what they want. Um, after like the creative differences, because there definitely was like a an there has has to have been like an element of creative difference to it, because he's such a method actor. Yeah, I mean, if he stuck around a little longer, maybe he could have been Kylo Ren or whatever. Maybe so. Like I, yeah. I mean, I don't live in New York, but I would love to take a trip out this fall to go see him and Aubrey Plaza do whatever play that they're doing. Come out. Come visit. We'll see it together. Yeah, I'd love that. Also, I I take issue with them, page six or New York Post or whatever, calling him the cutest guy on girls. I don't think he's. I don't. I don't buy it. Who do you think I'm... it would be? Adam. Adam Driver. He's the cutest guy on girls. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my god! Just looking at my own face, I'm like double shocked. I think Adam Driver is a lot of things, but. Really? cute cute if i, I think the cutest boy on girls is elijah like let's be serious okay. yeah but, <laughs> but i mean like he you're... was barely on the show at that point though yeah. like if you're picking between charlie ray and elijah or not elijah charlie ray and adam i guess charlie would be the cutest conventionally i do agree though that i am more a attracted to adam driver yeah of course it's I mean, an energy the cute yeah cute as a word like just in a back uh, like in a vacuum that word does not apply to adam driver i have to quote um gabriella paella the writer for gq now but she wrote this thing for the cut and it was like something about um when i think of adam driver i think of like a big strong oak tree like that's adam driver he's like <laughs> A, a column in front of the supreme court i don't know like what a that's the biggest boy in hollywood like <laughs> right that the headline would be different it would be biggest boy leaves girls exactly exactly yeah. um I forgot that but, <laughs> okay i'm trying to think what next what happens next in the episode oh they go and they go shopping and she wears the dress yeah the barbie um, bob mackie barbie dress like a truly iconic piece of costumery yeah. i that's Whenever crazy. she tells that clerk, well, I'm 25 and a half years old and blah, blah, blah. And the one's like, oh yeah, that tracks. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, she's, she's like, you might be surprised, but like, I've lived so much life and, you know, I'm looking out the eyes of a woman and my hands, which, what'd she say? I wrote it down. She says, and these hands have touched and been touched. <laughs> like she's really feeling very wise beyond her years even though she's just had a string of bad relationships i mean there is something so like for hannah being the writer and jessa being like the gregarious one and shosh being like kind of the worrier it's like so funny that marnie is like building her own myth in her <laughs> but it's like only in her mind like she's telling this like <laughs> Or not to her real friends which is I just truly the crux of like Alison Williams being so funny as Marnie like that she's so good at like showing how Delulu this girl is oh yeah exactly the right moment and also in the very first scene when she's like kind of with Desi and then 
they're having a fight and she storms out and she's wearing those like ridiculous wedge sneakers and just she's like wearing those wedge sneakers through the end of the night until she's barefoot is like one of the funniest jokes in the whole episode to me like there's nothing more like basic late odds white girl to me than Mm -hmm. that idea of a wedge sneaker yeah like the season four and five costuming for her is chock full of wedge sneakers like the I mean the flower crowns of the wedding obviously but she's always in like a really like tumbler ass headband like feathers in the hair like we shout out Jen Rogan so the costume designer for this show um so so much on girls room but like she really Marnie Michaels I think is her muse in a lot of ways like yeah just incredible she dresses like because sometimes she's like very preppy cute very j crew-y and other mm-hmm. times like in this episode i'm like did you just come out of rehearsals of like on living color like this is what i imagine like j-lo wore like she was <laughs> like one of the fly yeah. girls yeah <laughs> like with like the baggy sweatpants and like a tank top over another tank top over like under a sweatshirt i'm like girl what are you pushing for center stage (laughs) there is just this like she wants to be an artist like she'll dress like an artist that is so hilarious to me that's definitely it too Mm -hmm. like she's definitely like off-duty artist you know like gathering ideas on the train with her big headphones Mm-hmm. Like her little is that like an iPod nail shuffle or something yeah like the clip on one yes yes Mm -hmm. that is like it's too much for me but I do yeah the dress is like it is pretty, but it's also, it sort of adds to the magic of the night where it's like, oh my God, where are we going? Like, where are you taking me? Oh my God. And then it, it never even, every time I'm like shocked by this image of her dressed up with, with sneakers on and Charlie just wearing his regular clothes. And it's like, and he's not supposed to just stick out like a drug dealer. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, what did she think? She I, has I, her blinders on. Yeah, I guess so. She's like, I'm having this crazy night, you know? Okay, well, she is being crazy. Like, she, I mean, the single funniest moment of the episode for me was, well, A, her bilking that guy out of $600, but her character building as international escort Megita Perez. <laughs> unbelievable. Is Megita a name? No. <laughs> Oh yeah, that was so funny. Also, meeting his escort, Masha, who's all also says she's 25 and a half. Yes. And whenever she's like, um, oh, it's gonna be an extra 200 if I have to go above the 10th floor. I'm scared of heights. And it's like, oh my gosh, you've like really done the character building. You've you've done the scene work for this person, which is so good. Um but I did, I was going to say, I read an interview with Allison Williams in, I think it was THR from like, you know, morning after the episode airs. And she has this line about how Marnie always gets dinged for being judgmental. And it's like, this is the first time we see her really trying to not be judgmental and really suspend her disbelief and not ask too many questions. Like, look how it turns out. Like, she never asked any questions of this whole night. And then her boyfriend is a heroin addict. And it's like, well, there were so many red flags that of course morning not trying to be herself missed yeah yeah i mean she literally watches him do a coke deal in like the coat room of this hotel like i think 
she just needs a spontaneous night with an old friend. Like if I had to be around Desi constantly, I would like him playing aggressively playing guitar at me. Like that would drive me. Bella, crazy. he's playing it for you. <laughs> we also um, have to before she leaves the apartment earlier in the episode. The being surrounded by those steel beams, I just had to call it oh, out. Awful of, of the wall that never was. Oh, oh. god, it, it, she's she's trapped. She's trapped by Desi's love. And also, the funniest line of the episode: "You are far too narcissistic to kill yourself." Like one of the most quotable lines of the show's history. God, right? Or what am I saying? Um, Marty's apartment is one of the. I mean, best production design. It's like, it's always a visual gag to me how small her apartment is, how it's like so, but I live in Chinatown. Like it's so bad and there's nothing going for it. Like it's an awful apartment really. And then whenever um, Hannah has the story in the times, she's like on the toilet. Like there are two shots in Marnie's apartment, either her on the bed or her on the toilet, which is like, or the stairs. but yeah, I do. It's also, I want to say too, just a very like New York thing that I think is so fun that the hotel that they go to for this like ritzy whatever is the plaza, which, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, exists in everyone who watched like Gossip Girl or Texas City is like the true or Home Alone, like yeah. the true New York City hotel, like you where you wouldn't go on like you have no reason to go to if you like live in New York, you know? Right. I think kind of adds like the magic of the night that it feels very like before sunset-y in a way. Except yeah. they're not really in love, like like that. And the central park of it all too is so classic New York romance. Mm-hmm. Like that scene of them in the rowboat um, is genuinely stunning in her underwater. It's just like lyrically and visually beautiful in a way that uh, this is a really well shot show but it's just it's so artistic and cinematic in a way that the show is not usually um it's just it's gorgeous I did tear up when she was underwater and I never cried the show never it's so beautiful and I read today that it was they shot they couldn't shoot in Central Park. They shot in Staten Island in a similar park, but the underwater stuff and then falling on the boat was in a tank. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's like not to be like movie magic, but like it looks so like, like, um, like one graceful movement, like one graceful romantic movement mm-hmm. in a way that um, girls is not usually romantic. And even their sex scene is like a very non girls sex scene, which is like, it actually does feel kind of small, but like normal and sweet and almost tender in a way where usually it's like someone pumping away at someone else. Yeah, to to have that, the episode after we just talked about Jess and Adam role-playing as like pregnant teenagers, <laughs> like it is, uh, yeah, it's even if the apartment is dismal, mm-hmm. it's still sweet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah I mean also just her after they they tip the boat over Marnie's soaking wet and they're riding the subway together her hair is all matted and horrible just that shot I mean mm-hmm. the shot that everyone knows 
beautiful i i mean no like drew to your point that shot literally took my breath away like watching it again and it's such a you know really amazing one-to-one of like her on the subway early in the night where she's like with her big headphones trying to get inspiration blah 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 and she's just so like not herself it's so like truly nasty to think about but also so beautiful where it's like Marnie for one moment her brain is like off and I wonder about her headspace it's like she's definitely not thinking about her whatever she and him fucking cover band or whatever like not thinking about Desi not thinking about really even Charlie it's just like I know how to be with this person in a way that I don't know how to be any other moment of my life Mm-hmm. Yeah. just so moving yeah though it is unwelcome when the old marnie peeks through a little bit when they get mugged and afterwards she's like i didn't know people still like got robbed anymore i'm like that's such a <laughs> classic <laughs> marnie thing to say like and when when the when um charlie starts taking off her earrings and she's like she he didn't even ask for these though like <laughs> he's like he's going to he's going to (laughs) that and that's when like my marnie flag flies when i'm like no but he can't even tell yeah no literally that's when i was like she's yeah why why do you even bring up my earrings i kind of i don't know the mugging thing i don't think really works for me like it sort of adds a little bit of like just another red flag that like Charlie is pretty he seems very capable but also he's like not he seems like he's like kind of hey you know kid fuck off like why don't you go talk to your mom or sell your xbox or whatever but then he kind of misread the situation Mm -hmm. you get the sense that like okay well Desi's not taking care of her Charlie really can't take care of her either but still I don't know just it feels kind of too random I want to linger in the romance for just a moment longer Mm -hmm. like I want them to talk about something like actually deep because what what Charlie said at the top of the episode when he's like I remember your uncle's one that was cool one that sucked like that was beautiful but I would want a little bit more like that sentiment than like the mugging it kind of felt like yeah a little bit too caricature but yeah it's like it's so sad that all these like little holes are being punctured in her like dream yeah the scene in the episode that I do think is a little superfluous to me was Julia Garner's scene, which I had totally forgot she was even in this episode. Because in 2016, she was not like the Julia Garner that we know in 2023, like three-time mm-hmm. Emmy winner. Um, I didn't really see the point of the scene just beyond illustrating that people can be disappointing and that charlie's bathroom is a a Mm hellhole but i'm curious to what y'all thought i think i don't know i mean that's kind of how i felt the mugging it's just kind of like okay we get it he like lives in kind of a you know quote-unquote bad neighborhood which is just you know bushwick but there was something at the julia garner thing that i felt like I want her to have a moment with, with another woman to kind of explain, kind of like it sort of bookends like the Magda conversation to me mm-hmm. where she's like caught off guard, feeling very vulnerable. But then it's like, 
I don't know. I think she goes into that scene with like a little bit more excitement about like, what am I going to see next? Like, I'm taking a shower here. I can't believe I've done this. And this girl is like, yeah, my life kind of sucks. And Marnie is so like, oh, I'm using your towel. Oh, I have to take the towel off. Wow. Okay. Like, that was about that awkwardness. And it, yeah. I think it's so Marnie. It's, I mean, it's perfectly Marnie, but I did think maybe they could have chose one but having both the mugging and the shower scene actually felt too like what you yeah. know I don't think they totally succeeded in what they were trying to do like I don't think the mugging really showed me like uh Charlie can't take care of me I don't think it really showed me he misread the situation and the scene in the bathroom it's like you could have we didn't need Julia Garner to show that this is a I, I don't know I, I just felt yeah. like it like, they didn't feel complete to me. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, I think if there's like this like overarching empirical problem with girls, it's like sort of that, that it becomes like a caricature of like, oh my God, seedy neighborhood, what's going to happen next? <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. And yeah. they, did, they, I mean, they didn't need to like get her out of the bedroom somehow, I guess, so she can come back and like rifle through her stuff and find the needles. But um, yeah. yeah, it was kind of just putting a hat on top of a hat. Yeah. The needle scene is so devastating though. Um like in the I mean it's literally the cold light of day just finding all the paraphernalia on the floor like that and him like limply being like it's for my diabetes which obviously he doesn't have like it's and she doesn't even respond to that. It just she she walks away. Like I'm kind of it's very poetic that we don't see her actually get into it with him. It's also, yeah. It reminds me a lot of like that scene in When Harry Met Sally, when Harry is like, oh, they have sex. And he's like, I can't, you know, lie and say I have like an early tennis like session or something. Cause like, you know me too well that everything I would say to like anyone else in the situation doesn't even feel like worth saying, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's, the fact that he would even like mumble a lie honestly feels like more like that feels like hurtful like his addiction is yeah like obviously so shocking and she is like wait what the fuck have we been doing all night but the fact that he would like lie to her and say something like that wasn't true and didn't make any sense when it's like but you know like her whole family like you you can speak with such specificity about her entire life almost. And she says like, you're my family. That it's so mm-hmm. like, oh, you like really don't respect me or you don't think that's true. Then it, it must not be true for you because you know everything about me and I know nothing about you, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Or everything that we just did was a complete, you know, addict fever dream. Like you were not present with me in the same way that oh, I was yeah. for Like yeah. we're actually not connected in love. Like you were just high. Yeah. Oh, devastating. Um, now, okay, the walk back to Chinatown. Oh, my God. Yeah. Barefoot. You're walking with a bare foot. Yeah, it's it's ringworm city. I, that, like, I, I don't know where those shoes went, so I guess They're Cheryl walked barefoot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why she didn't have them all night. I couldn't remember if they fell off or she just got they were just so waterlogged that she just took them off. But the scene with Desi was wonderful at the end. 
Yeah, like she's like basically laughing at him at this point, which is refreshing. Yeah, but her the image of her like like a wet cat almost with these dirty feet and this Mm -hmm. dirty dress in the door frame, and he's waiting for her and. There's like she doesn't even like give an explanation like oh I'm sorry or whatever I'm sorry if you were worrying but it's just like this like can't go on yeah and and I liked too I think that Charlie being like a heroin addict made it seem much more like you know Marnie's not leaving Desi for Charlie she's leaving desi and charlie because they are like not real people to be in a relationship with which i feel like is the best marnie most marnie thing that can happen this episode in a really nice way definitely yeah i mean she bases so much of her identity in being a couple whether it was like the respected gallery owner married to like finance bro charlie or the she and him music duet here like this is her this is her I almost said this is her fight song this is her like moment of independence (laughs) where she like really breaks out but I mean we'll see for the rest of the show that she and Desi can't shake each other that easily um his line about her getting herself murdered in the real world because she has very little common sense was like brutal I'm glad she took it I like she takes it so well but I mean that is a that would be a a relationship ender if someone said that to me to say to someone yeah it also makes me when someone is 25 and a half years old and has lived so many has had so (laughs) much life has been touched and has touched and been touched um but it, it was the kind of the first I don't know. I guess I can't remember how old Desi is supposed to be or how much older he's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, but it is kind of like, oh, huh. He is kind of the elder statesman of this like friend group in a way. Yeah. Like has lived more life or has had more life that like these kids like don't really know about. It's funny you say that. I literally wrote down right at this part how old is Desi supposed to be because mm-hmm. it does he does come off as like this kind of clueless older guy who's kind of wagging his finger mm-hmm. Barney. Yeah. The only thing I guess we really know about him is that what he was engaged like eight times yeah or something like that but I mean that knowing Desi that could be like we go out for a week and then we're engaged um but it was one of those things that it's like I mean, objectively true. It applies just as much to Desi, of course, but like, it's true of Marnie. Like, I think she made a lot of mistakes in their marriage. He made more mistakes, but she was like not a very good wife and they should not have been together from the beginning. Like, I don't know, watching watching this time, I was like, he is kind of right. He is going to get murdered. But I think she is in a place where she can fly free make mistakes on her own and she also feels comfortable enough to actually make mistakes now um and like actually learn from them before I so much of her behavior the first five seasons of the show are her like failing and then trying to cover it up by doing something respectable or 
like getting engaged to Desi, which is like a, you know, a life progression in a way that's like way too early and way too soon for her, but it feels like it's going to paper over some indiscretion that she's done already. Mm-hmm. And now she's saying goodbye to all of that. And I love the scene at the end where she gets into bed with Hannah and Fran, like as a cyclical moment, she's returning to the home that we first saw her in, like way back in season one where Hannah and and her still live together. Like it is, it is a nice little closed loop moment. Mm-hmm. I want to say two things. I think that's a very smart point that this is the first time we see, like the divorce is the first time we see Hannah, not Hannah, I'm sorry, Marnie, make a mistake and like not try to cover it up like when she tells her friends it's kind of like yeah we're getting divorced and like it's just that's the complete sentence in a very like not usually Marnie way and when she gets in the bed for the first time watching I was like that dress is filthy she's wearing that dress in bed Mm -hmm. a dress that she fully sat on the subway wearing dirt all over the hem it's been dried on the ground all through Chinatown and now into Brooklyn yeah and she put on a hoodie and wore it in the bed girl oh and whose hoodie is that you know it's not Marnie's it's probably it's probably Hannah's definitely Hannah's <laughs> you know it's actually probably Fran's oh no yeah. <laughs> oh my god that is the world's dirtiest dress and now it is yeah up on Hannah's it, it is just such a perfect costuming choice though like it is it's rich woman in a way that feels a little tacky and cheap but oh. like still sparkly and romantic like, it, like it's a fancy gown um it is, I think there is something about sequins like a sparkly dress where it's like if you there's only a certain small window of time between 19 and 25 and a half where a sequin dress is like the height of sophistication because then if you it's like are you going to a ball like what yeah. or like, are you donna summer like you can't pull that off <laughs> um in a way that like makes the dress so perfect mm-hmm. it's iconic so we actually got listener questions this week um from Danny and WeHo, uh, who sent three questions, two of which we have basically covered at this point. Okay. But one sort of touches on the Desi age thing we were just talking about, and I think it is worth discussing. So from Danny and WeHo, Marnie's whole, yes, I am only 25 and a half speech is hilarious, but I also find it jarring. I forget that multiple seasons happen within the same year. So while the actors are pushing 30, the characters are still mid-20s. Sometimes I can't buy that they're this young. While they are far from being mature or having their shit together, they do seem like folks who have spent more time out of college than in college. Do you think of the characters as being older than they are? Or are you like the shop girl going, no, that makes perfect sense? Hmm. I think that is an interesting question in that a lot of TV shows do have this problem. Like, as with so many things, my mind immediately jumps to Glee and having like 30, early 30s people playing high schoolers and doing that for years on end. I think I was surprised by 25 and a half, but like in my mind, they're around like 26, 27 at this point, but I don't really have that much of a disconnect with it. Yeah, same. I mean, I, this is like 
I think a very unpopular opinion right now, but I do think people in their mid twenties should be playing high schoolers. I think it just adds to like the fantasy of a show about high school. Like when I was watching Gossip Girl when I was in middle school, it's like I didn't care how old they were. I like it's like they're in high school. They have to like they're in Hollywood. They show glamorous. Like and no seventeen year old looks glamorous. Um, but I also think that it kind of now that I'm in my late twenties, it adds to the humor in a way that it's like when you see, I don't know, it's like it's just such a like funny little detail that's oh she's only 25 and a half years old but like I know she's she should be older like she should act more mature sure. and it it makes it even more of a joke in my mind but I was kind of shocked that like I guess Lena Dunham was 25 working mm-hmm. on season one 24 working on season one that's just so shocking yeah. I think mentally they've always felt older than me I guess maybe not maybe right now but like I mean, they were literally older than us when this show came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I do get in that headspace, like, oh, these people are, even though they're playing characters who are our age, if not a little bit younger, like, I will always see them as older than they actually are, just because watching this as a high schooler and college student, that just was my viewing experience. And it's kind of hard to shake that. Yeah. And there is something too, where I'm like, the funniest thing about Marty being like, I'm 25 and a half years old. I'm like, wait, girl, at your big age, you're still acting like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you should be like 22 acting like this, not 25. Yeah. But she's like, yeah. Me and like Marty. Shosh will always be like my age. Like she'll always be like, the youngest. Yeah. 100%. Um, you raised such an interesting point too about high schoolers needing to be played by people in their mid-20s like I have been watching a lot of clips of Heartstopper Netflix's Heartstopper recently that in which the students are played by people who I believe are like 17 18 right now and they feel and that is like a kid show essentially but they do feel too much like literal children for me to be like I don't know like I don't know how people who aren't literal children watch this that's how I feel about like um I haven't watched Heartstopper yet but I've been watching a summer I turned pretty mm-hmm. and in some moments I'm like I know the show's not really for me but I'm like oof that boy is 17 like that's too young I can't <laughs> watch this it's just like weird yeah. um, but I don't know I'm just like let people who are pushing 30 play high school like whatever yeah oh, I completely agree with you honestly I I mean, who is, um, what's that actress's name? Bianca Lawson. Bianca Lawson was oh, playing yes. high schoolers for 25 years, basically. Like, and she can still play one tomorrow. She looks yeah. so good. She's <laughs> gorgeous. I believe she's 46, 45, 46 now. And she looks younger than wow. I do at the very least. So I'm not going to speak for her. This does she's... remind me when I was, because I watched a little bit of the next episode and Ray is in it. And I was like, how old is Ray? And he's like 47 now. Yeah. Wow. I didn't realize he was so much older than the rest of them. Talking. Yeah, I think he's the only one that's... And I mean, Adam's a little bit older, I think, within the context of the show. But Ray's the only one where the age is ever really commented on. And it makes sense. Like, I think he's supposed to be 33, 34 when he and Shoshana are dating. 
mm-hmm. which why are you dating a high school or a college sophomore junior as a 34 year old but I digress um okay we should move on to our final segments but thank you Danny and WeHo for sending in questions and if you as a listener want to send in questions please uh I guess email us at girlsroompod at gmail.com and we will be happy to take your questions um okay first question we ask every guest at the end of the episode which girl are you in this episode <laughs> maybe but only which- one here yeah Excuse me, Megita Perez erasure. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, yeah. I do. I mean, I can. Megita is like such a mystery to me. Like, that is Red Dress Marnie. Like, how Lana and Lanita are two different personas of Lana Del Rey, in addition yeah. to Lizzie Grant, like Marnie and Megita. Like, that. that's a classic dichotomy. I can, I can get behind that. I really think, yeah, I mean, I definitely am a girl in the subway. Like, why are those two people, like, soaking wet and dripping everywhere? Like, that's so weird. But I think that there is something so, like, young and naive about, like, posing as a sex worker and, like, being like, teehee, I can't believe I got away with it. As if that's, like, I don't know, that's just so, like yeah you're gonna get murdered you have no idea what you're doing <laughs> was so right. yeah I think I'm Megita Perez I'm like trying to play like it with adults and so out of my depth and like don't even know it oh my god oof I I I had one but I lost it Drew do you want to go first I I had a, a specific morning moment oh I don't know I mean this is a very tough episode for like a Marnie like myself like I see myself in every single aspect (laughs) of this episode in a way that is searingly uncomfortable and it just it it is a very overwhelming experience as a viewer in that way um I have had similar conversations to like the initial fight um that Marnie and Desi have like that's I'm a very in the way that I argue with people, I am very Marnie. Um, so that that hit home for me a lot. But I I remembered mine. I'm choosing to let go of my neuroses for a night, and then it's all it all goes wrong, and then my neuroses are uh, reinforced. We'll <laughs> <laughs> see <laughs> if you were just taking control. If you just told him to have curtains instead of trash bags on his windows, everything could have been fine. Yeah. That is such a good one. I okay, I have one question that just occurred to me. Do you think do you think of Marnie as romantic generally? No. No. Um <laughs> romantic. You know. Marnie m- I mean, we've seen glimpses of Marnie being really in touch with pop culture. Like, I think about her watching Real Housewives of Beverly Hills with Ray all the time. Like, I think she is someone who has filtered a lot of her relationship to romance and lived experiences through television and movies. And I think she's, like, play-acting a lot of her adult life in her, especially her, like, romantic escapades in, like, 
a rom-com or I, like main character syndrome is such a cliche at this point but like I mean going back to when she and the the vintage store um clerk are like talking to each other like I think she approaches that interaction as if the clerk is going to look back in 15 years and be like, I ran into Marnie Michaels once she walked into the store and she's <laughs> oh, like trying to like cause a moment. Um, I don't think she's truly romantic though. I think she, she's a myth maker. Yes, I agree. I think she's, which is why this episode feels like such a, obviously standalone, obviously like a mini movie, but so radical for her, for it to happen to her where like it is very romantic and she does kind of, choose to be a romantic for a night but yeah she does talk to that clerk as if she's julie roberts and this woman is like one of her little handmaidens i don't mm-hmm. know like go get him girl <laughs> and the woman just does not say anything like that like yeah i'm done with this <laughs> um so next segment is fit check where we shout out uh, a great outfit from the episode um i mean obviously the the Bob Mackie Barbie dress is iconic, but I want to shout out Julia Garner here. Um, her, the, I guess just like black bra set um, was not like iconic costuming on its own, but it did remind me about the Madonna biopic that she was supposed to be mm. in. Cause that was a very like Madonna, mm-hmm. um, like open your heart music video outfit. Um, and it With made me miss too, what could have been, huh? The hair too, like it reminded me yeah. of like, um, like a virgin. Yeah, I like, I mean, there's a reason Julia Gardner got cast. Like, the resemblance is uncanny. And that movie was never, ever going to get made. But there is another timeline in which we have it. And that it, it's <laughs> bad, but we still have it. We have to be the the wedge sneakers. Like, that's, that's Marnie in a nutshell to me, is the wedge yeah. sneakers. Or the earrings that she has to take off because Charlie <laughs> ripped them off. <laughs> That's also very me. Um, I do. I love the shout out to Julia Garner. I have that bra. Um, it's Notori. And I think the Marnie sweatpants outfit with the little clipped uh, iPod thingy mm-hmm. really <laughs> serves some attention. And her dirty ass dress with a hoodie on over it. I mean, we we've got a lot. We've got a lot of great looks here. Silo. Um, and then last segment, MVP and LVP. I mean, it's kind of hard to do these segments when there's only <laughs> there are like three characters in them. But like to me, I mean, MVP for me would be Marnie for you know, having a nice night at the very least and then um, breaking out of her marriage. And LVP would have to be Charlie for being addicted to heroin. That's really hard. <laughs> like, I, I, I think that seems really hard. <laughs> I have to say, okay, MVP, Marnie. But again, Desi, like, gets his licks in at the very end. Like, mm-hmm. I love Desi, but he really did, like, kind of eat her up um lvp i mean yeah the mugging the mugging just feels like such an afterthought yeah yeah i mean i think um, mvp was marnie when she touched down in the water and she was feeling alive 
she was on top of the world and it was romantic and like we said beautiful shot and lvp was um desi saying she's gonna get murdered <laughs> god <Ow. laughs> this was one of those episodes. oh sorry go on no no go on this is my thing so different you you go <laughs> oh, I was just going to ask if I could change my MVP to Megita Perez. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> well, obviously. Megita V. Perez is the MVP of this episode. There's something about watching this in 2023 where I feel like this is such a timeless sort of universal story. I mean, and obviously it like comes with all of like the 1970s sort of filmic references. But I do think that other than the... I, like the clip on iPod and some of the needle drops, it could feel very contemporary. Like it feels very like present day. The, the needle drops, the only thing about, like that would be maybe my LVP where some of them, it felt a little bit too Tumblr. Like yeah. I can't remember any of those songs specifically, but I was like, are they about to play like the XX? Like, what is this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's thing that I felt like if there's one in retrospect thing that I would change would be the music. But the music when they are like wet was perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good yeah. point. I remember there was one needle drop. I can't remember what the song was, but I remember thinking, ah, oh, they could have done better than this. Yeah, it just felt so like, oh. I wish I remembered the songs, but I, I sadly but can't. It's one of those songs like you would never remember the name of. Exactly. No. At some point I was like, they might start playing Coldplay. Yeah. <laughs> Like, and also 2015, 2016 were peak, like, alt-rock landfill years. There are a million identical bands that are making this kind of, like, Tumblr blog core music that you will just never, ever, ever remember the names of these days. But, like, when we were in college, would play all of the, like, Spring Fling fests. Like, it was, this whole season has very, like, Spring Fling music in general. But, yeah, I agree 100%. Music that wanted to get on Grey's Anatomy and ended up on Girls. Yes. Well, this has been fantastic. History was made covering <laughs> like a truly perfect episode of TV by and large. But Hunter, thank you so much for being here. Um, where can people find you on social media? I'm on Twitter as um, at Hunter Y. Harris. I'm on Instagram and also Blue Sky. Not oh. even a fox as at hunter h and my newsletter is hunterharris.substack.com and everyone needs to describe it is a cent or subscribe not describe subscribe it is essential text essential reading um if you have any interest in pop culture whatsoever um we're recording during a very (laughs) heavy week for pop culture i feel like so definitely looking forward to tomorrow's if you're listening to it on Friday, today's newsletter, for sure. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone. Until uh, we're going to have a very special episode next week. Julia will not be here, but I will be. So I got something very special cooking up for y'all. But um, (laughs) we'll be back with season five, episode seven uh, in two weeks from now. Bye. Bye.